Cahan is supported in part by Little Red Hen Bakery, located at 302 G Street in downtown Salida. Little Red Hen specializes in hometown fresh-baked bread, bagels, and treats, all made with organic and local ingredients. A full menu, including the wood-fired oven schedule and daily specials, can be found on their Facebook page at Little Red Hen Salida. Cahen and Little Red Hen, just two hometown chickens working to keep Salida, Salida. Cahen is supported in part by Hilltop Broadband. Hilltop Broadband for residential and business wireless internet service. Servicing Salida and Poncha Springs in Chaffee County, as well as areas in Fremont County, Custer County, and more. To experience the Hilltop difference and request new customer information, email info at hilltop-broadband.com or call toll-free 877-783-2889. Well, here we are. Welcome, friends, to the second half of our additional uh, interview with Doug uh, Doug Davlin. Uh, and uh, it's on the rails with me, Forrest Whitman. We're all settled back in the old caboose. We've, we're in here kind of comfy. We've, we've stoked up a little bit of the coal fire today. I mean, it's, yeah, but starting to get kind of chilly even in the caboose. So we do that. We've got our, our engineer, Rick White. He's up at the head end, boy. He's pulling us along, and we're enjoying. We've still got somebody up in the angel seat watching the fields and so on go by. We don't know who she is, but she's one of our regular listeners, and she's given us a couple of questions to answer, which maybe we'll try to jump in and, and answer pretty much right now today. And so, so, Doug, you as the owner of one of the most historic, and it is historic, um, railroad stations on the old uh, Rio Grande line. Now you've probably looked around upstairs. Now, did they, what kind of bunks and things did they have up there? Cause that will answer her question. Her question is, were there any women out there? <laughs> and if there were women, where the heck did they sleep? Now that's the kind of thing, Betty Boop, who's our regular listener. <laughs> this is the kind of thing Betty would, this is her question. So we can answer it any way we want. She has a wonderful sense of humor. So. I don't know what Doug. Were there any women? Where, where did they sleep? What did they do? Well, to my knowledge, there were women, uh, and not all wives of the station agents. Usually, the station agents were, uh, near as I can tell, unmarried people. Uh, the station sort of served as a multi-purpose uh, boarding house, uh, which, by necessity, because there were. Uh, not any other accommodations available. But one of the bedrooms upstairs was for the school local school teacher. And about a quarter mile away from the railroad station up Goose Creek Valley is a little one-room school called the Fremont School. It's still standing. And uh, the school teacher stayed at the, at the depot upstairs. Uh, it turned out that one of the lumberjacks who in the area, name of uh, Hanson, had the Hanson Sawmill, uh, fell in love with this school teacher. And 
unfortunately, she was not in love with him. So one night, uh, Mr. Hansen got all liquored up, got his rifle out, and decided that if he couldn't have her, no one could have her. And he fired two shots through the roof of the depot into her bedroom. Oh. The bullets went through the roof and through the headboard of her bed, but did not hit her. <laughs> so, wow. wow. The, uh, uh, of course, everyone was awake at that time. And the schoolmistress and the station agent went down the stairs to the agent's office and telegraphed Alamosa. And the story goes that in two hours, there was a train and a U.S. Marshal at the depot. Wow. Can you imagine a train coming from Alamosa in two hours? That's 70 miles. Mm. That's fast. But anyway, they got the guy and uh, he was uh, taken back to Alamosa and held trial the next day. And he was given a choice by the judge to either join the Navy or go to jail. Wow. You so went to the you went to the Navy. I'll be doing uh, that. And another resident at the depot was also a female and almost always was a postmistress. And we actually have the, the Wagon Wheel Gap was actually a designated uh, postal office. And we have stamps, stamped uh, envelopes showing the Wagon Wheel Gap stamp. And there were about 12 boxes of the ranches that are nearby the, uh, the station, Four You Are, La Garita, Cottonwood Cove, uh, Bird Creek, uh, I mean, Blue Creek, uh, Masonic Park, those areas would all come up to the depot to get their mail. And uh, she also had, at that point, she had two kids and they uh, would walk to the school every day with the school teacher and uh, the postmistress would wrap, because at that time the girls had to wear uh, skirts. They couldn't wear pants. They wore skirts. And it gets sometimes it gets to be 50 below zero at the depot. Whoa, cold. She would wrap their legs in newspapers as insulation when they walked to school. That's amazing. That is really amazing when you think about it. Young women trying to grow up out here on the frontier in those, in those circumstances. Uh, well, there were uh, three, three people, sometimes five with the kids. And of course there was no indoor plumbing and uh, no electricity and no running water. Boy. They did have a well, but they didn't have running water. I wonder how that well worked. I mean, I guess it wouldn't freeze up. It was down the ground. It was down the ground. It was actually right outside the kitchen door. And they would drop a bucket down and pull the water up, pull a bucket of water up and use it to either cook with or drink or whatever they're going to do. And then whatever was left over, uh, they would take out the uh, trackside door and throw it out. And eventually in the winter, it built up a mound of ice that went from the door to the tracks because the tracks are only nine feet away. And she actually, with a train came along one time and hit the mound of ice and derailed. You're the kidding. 
Wow, that's 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 a lot of ice. Yeah, yeah. That's a lot of time to throw in the water out there, but it's also cold. See you any Christmas, huh? (laughs) Well, let's let's do a couple other. Are we? we, If we're kind of done with that one, I think we are kind of role of women. But we've got another role of women. This is not from Betty. This is from uh, an anonymous, anonymous woman. (laughs) We know who she is too. It's a small, it's a, the rail fan community is smaller and smaller. But anyway, um, is it true about General Palmer, his prejudice for narrow gauge as opposed to standard gauge and all of his concern about what Queenie wanted and didn't want for him? And I don't know how much have, I've read some about General Palmer. I, well, first of all, I think General Palmer built this line, but mostly it was uh, Moffat who I think took over the line gradually and then built it out more than more than Palmer. I wasn't that your impression? Well, Moffat took it over uh, just about where he was a major developer of the mines in Creed. And uh, General Palmer wanted to expand the rails into Creed, but the uh, main owners of the line were back in England and they'd been uh, doing nothing but expanding the railroad and they were, they were running out of cash. They didn't really have any money to go uh, west up to Creed. So uh, Palmer either was given the opportunity to resign or he got fired or something. He got out of the picture and Moffat took over and Moffat said, I'll pay for the extension into Creed with my own money. And he did. And then he would be, he was repaid with his own for his money within six months. And then he sold the line to the back to the railroad for an even greater profit. I'm glad that Palmer made some money with it. Well, back to her, let's circle back to her question. I don't know. Palmer was legendary in his problems with women. Uh, and his problems with his wife, Queenie. Um, Queenie always said she she wanted only narrow gauge lines so there couldn't be wide beds back in the presidential car because she didn't want anybody in those beds with Palmer but herself. Now, whether that's legendary or not, we don't know, but it's certainly repeated that story over and over and over again. And um, But certainly Queenie was very jealous but, but well, but see the thing is that true, that's true. But Queenie also, she never really liked Colorado a lot anyway. And she was from the East Coast. She put up with being out here with with the generals sometimes, but mostly she wanted to be on the or in England. She loved and France. She loved France too. So we don't know exactly what was going on there. I don't know. Are we answering this listener question here, or are we just circling around it? We often don't answer. We just circle around. I don't know. I can't add anything to that. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I don't know either. But now we know what happened. And, of course, Palmer was much loved. And um, Well, Moffat was much loved. Goodness sakes, look at um, when Moffat finally was going broke. Why, mostly on the line that went, that went past my old caboose there in Rollinsville. Mostly going going broke on trying to run up to, well, what is today the Moffat Tunnel or 
over over the top there in Rollins Pass. And um, certainly uh, a lot of times he couldn't make payroll and they stuck with him. They they really liked him. And when he died, this is interesting, too. When he died, why Moffat left uh, the money and even shares to every single employee of his uh, railroad operation. Hmm. He, he just I don't know whether he's what any existing family thought, but uh, or if there was any, but uh, he left it to the employees. That that's pretty unusual. That was that was the days before unbridled capitalism <laughs> took over. I think anybody else heard that story too, or no? That that's that's a very common story about Moffat. So, uh, and um, now did did uh, did Palmer make money? We don't know. I mean, certainly he hoped someday that this line would be would would be the beginnings of um, a westward expansion. He also hoped that for uh, Marshall Pass, the Marshall Pass line, um, he never really tried to go up and over uh, Corona Pass or Rollins Pass, as it was called. But he he really he, he look how he named his trains. He had one of his trains named the Pacific Coast Express. Now, as far as we know, it never got much past Gunnison. Well, no, it did. I think eventually it did get get through the uh, Black Canyon. But, um, you know, that was his big idea was that, that, that he would get to the West Coast and eventually down to Mexico the other way, even though he was battling with the, uh, well... With the Atchison, Topeka, and the Santa Fe, so even though he was battling that direction, he nevertheless really saw himself as ultimately a transcontinental. He um, he didn't get very far with that. Uh, as I say, he got a ways, but not not very far. And well, I don't know, Doug. Did you ever see any any signs of your of your uh, station there? opening with selling tickets to San Francisco or <laughs> LA or anything? No, we do have a poster showing uh, uh, the times and route going to from uh, from there to uh, Salt Lake City. Uh-huh. Apparently that was a main junction. Sure. Sure. That would get him part way there for sure. Huh. I think it was ticket was $12.50. <laughs> wow. wasn't that great oh probably well, they probably even had the halibut dinners on there too <laughs> if they, what did they what did they feature what would you eat if you were on there well yeah one of the things that the uh the crew did when they had time where they're waiting for the ore cars to be filled was they went fishing in the Rio Grande and caught tons uh -huh. of trout and then the uh, passengers all got uh, fresh trout for dinner. Nice. Nice. Yeah. There was one, one graffiti thing on the wall in our baggage room, which was uh, made into a bedroom. Uh, <clears throat> a guy from Nickerson, Kansas, caught 160 trout in one day. Wow. That's amazing. You, you couldn't do that today. Do they, do they still catch some? <laughs> they still very good fishing. Uh, uh, 
it's now private water. Um, the, the two and a half miles of the river right in front of the station is owned by 4UR and it's available for their guests and their guests only. That's probably gold metal trout water. Yes, it is. <coughs> they have seven and a half miles of uh, private water on Goose Creek and they stock it and uh, it's prime fishing. People come from all over the world to fish there. Do they give you rights, Doug, to go fishing in, in uh, the industry? Actually, I, I, if I want to fish there, if there's no other guests of theirs fishing on the river, then I can fish there. <laughs> but the guests- We'll be over, yeah, we'll be over pay, for trout. You know, the guests are paying 800 bucks a day, so they kind of want to feel exclusive. 800 bucks a day. Yeah, that's all the food you can eat, though. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, I guess so. I hope and, so. And uh, do you clean trout? You well, you got to clean them before you oh, eat yeah. them. I guess. So some some of the uh, fishermen um, usually at, at this stage of the game, it's all catch and release. What is the longest um, trip that you ever took on your on your your own? Uh, uh, private. Uh, now I'm not going to say this wrong. I'm going to say your private uh, car. <laughs> What's car. the longest motor car that you ever took? Well, probably one of the most memorable <laughs> trips was uh, from uh, Chihuahua, Mexico, down to Topolobampo on the Sea of Loreto. Uh, oh my God! Went all the way through the Copper Canyon, and. Uh, there were 18 cars. We traveled down and got about 120 miles a day. And then we stayed in local hotels. And part of our entourage included uh, four military people as guards and two railroad people as uh, guides. Boy, what a trip. How many days did it take you to get to Topolobampo there? Uh, it took us, I think we were gone about uh, 12 days round trip. Well, years ago, I went on a just an ordinary passenger train over that, that route. And uh, I'll tell you what, <laughs> there's some kind of scary spots where you're way up above the uh, uh, Barrancas del Cobre, looking down into that canyon which is much bigger than the grand canyon by the way that's a yeah. big big canyon unfortunately we didn't have enough time to take side trips to go see a lot of the sites but uh it was nevertheless a, a great trip yeah i remember a couple trips across there yeah huh and i'm sure you still can do it i, I imagine it's quite developed now as a, a a tourist trip of some kind well that trip was in about the year 2006. I don't know of any other motor car groups that have made that same trip. It takes a lot of planning and organizing and the excursion coordinators are few and far between, so. Well, and you've got to have the Mexican side represented there too, of course. Mm -hmm. And uh, somebody who, who works both sides. Well, now what, well, what trips would you like to take with your motor car? Gosh, I don't know. I like to go through California and up around uh, Montana, 
Oregon and Washington. Yeah. Actually, it'd be fun to go from uh, British Columbia and head east and go clear to uh, Halifax. Oh, my God. All the way across Canada. That would yeah. take a month or so, I would think. Well, who cares? <laughs> well, who cares? Increasingly, that's right. Who does care? My God, do it while you can do it. Hey, Doug, I'd like to uh, put a question in here. These motor cars, what, what's the fuel that they run on? Mostly gasoline. Gasoline. Okay. Regular gasoline. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of them still have the old uh, sort of rubber uh, fuel lines. It's mm -hmm. best to use the high octane because it doesn't have any ethanol. All mm -hmm. eats up the lines, but uh, a lot of us have changed the lines out so that you can use most any gas. I see. And when you say changed out, but you still have the original engine on your motor car. Well, that it's not that old. I mean, you know. Well, that's true. I guess we're not old, so it's not that old. <laughs> we're we're not old. It's not that old. Now you have a canopy on it. I take it. Yes, and uh, some don't though. Some are open open cars. Just have a bench to sit on, and and you sit sort of sideways. But boy, I, it's good to have some weather protection. I've got curtains in case it rains, so it's it's kind of warm, and it's kind of comfortable. It's not bad. And when you take this somewhere to ride, um, do you take it on a trailer to get to the spot? Yes. Uh huh. Uh, usually, my usually the trailers are just sort of, sort of converted to utility trailer. Okay. These, these motor cars generally weigh about twelve hundred pounds. Mm -hmm. uh, some of them weigh depends on the type of motor car it is. Some of them weigh maybe you know maybe a ton or more than two tons or something like that. But they're usually not so heavy, and they're very front heavy, so you can. They have rails that extend out the rear end, and then you can pick it up like a wheelbarrow, and you can turn it around. Mm. The front axle is, uh, what's the word? Both wheels can spin in a different direction. Anyway, you can twist and turn around in a circle to turn it around. That's fun, 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 fun. Well, if we get down there this summer, can we, uh, will you give us a ride, Doug, if we show up? Absolutely. I'm oh, sure Sure, Don will give us permission to get on his line. Nice. And I hope that the rain does not uh, keep us from going anywhere. Who, uh, let's see. Well, now who actually owns the South Fork branch now? Don Shank. Okay, so he still owns it. Well, and he is a very, um, you know, a very, he, what should I say? He's an easy guy to get along with. And I would, I would think that he would probably be running up and down too. Probably would, probably would. It's just his protocols and always he knows who's on the line and what direction they're going because we don't want anybody to go bump into each other. And have we interviewed that gentleman, Don Shank? Don Shank, we did before we had the, the show. We did when we were still a print outfit run by Ed Quillen. Uh, my mentor in this this business, and I don't know, Doug, if you remember Ed Quillen at all. He wrote for the Denver Post for a while, and we there, I we can dig up that interview. 
That goes back to, I hate to think how far back, a ways back, probably 25 years ago, when he was trying different things to to make, uh, Don Shank was to make that run. But what a what a friendly guy and a nice guy. And I think, I, I bet we could get him in there, do that. Well, so how many motor car trips would you say you've done in your life? Oh, I'm not that many, really. There's probably... 10 trips a summer that can be done, but I've, I'm, I stay mostly local and I've done some Utah trips and done Leadville trips. And, and then some people have narrow gauge cars as well as standard gauge cars. So I've gone and ridden with them, like on the Silverton Durango or the Chama to Antonito. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and all those are fun. And the railroading community is a great, friendly community. So nice people to be with. Well, that's what we find here. Ed. If everybody who comes and sits in KHEN 106.9 on your FM dial caboose <laughs> and to listen to this show on your rails with me, Forrest Whitman, as we have been doing today with Doug Davlin, who is what an interesting interview. I hope lots of people will listen. And um, I will probably hope that at some point, when it comes up, why I can talk to him. Now we're getting the signal from the head end, which is we're down to about the last minute or so. Doug, what final words do you want to say about riding the rails and why motor cars are very important and things like that? Well, I would simply encourage people to uh, go to museums like the Forney Museum in Denver and uh, get out to see the, and take young kids with them and let them learn about the history of the way the West was developed. And motor cars were a definite part of that. Yes, they were. And people like you are to be thanked for keeping your station going, for keeping your motor car going, and most of all, for just being so nice to, to talk with folks about it, about what's happening. So, and you're right, the railroad community is a good community. Colorado is a good community. You know, um, really, we, we sometimes get the wrong impression from the press. What most folks you run into are pretty much interested, pretty much like learning about our history and, and being here. So, Doug, thank you so much. We will be in touch with you and we're getting down there and saying hi. Um, <clears throat> probably not for this winter, though. Uh, as I look out my window here, I see uh, I see some a little snow on the rails, and I see a little whiff of coal smoke coming up from the caboose. So we're almost ready to highball out of here for one more segment of on the rails. So at the count of three, we want a good hearty uh, highball. We want to throw the fusee out into the snow so there's a nice big red glow so nobody hits us from behind. We we, we want to we want to let some of that fresh air in. At the count of three, one, two, three, highball, 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 highball. 
Cahen is sponsored in part by Soulcraft Brewing, Salida's hometown brewery, offering a large selection of traditional and seasonal craft beers. Their spacious patio features cozy fire pit tables for outdoor warmth on chilly days. Fresh food is served daily at the Soul Shack food truck, featuring snacks like wings and pretzels, and full meals like sandwiches, burgers, and a delicious brunch on Sunday. Soulcraft is open daily for happy hour, lunch, and dinner.